The following is a production of Government CIO Media. Welcome to Cybercast. I'm Kirsten Todd. And I'm Roger Cressy. As former government officials who are now in the private sector, we want Cybercast to offer you a thoughtful and different perspective on cybersecurity. We hope you enjoy the show. We're pleased today to welcome Chris Krebs. Chris was confirmed as the Undersecretary for the National Programs and Protection Directorate at the Department of Homeland Security on June 15th. Chris has worked in the Bush administration and in the private sector, most recently as the Director for Cybersecurity Policy at Microsoft. We've known Chris a long time and have had the pleasure of working with him in both industry and government. And it's great for him and for the nation to see him in this cyber leadership role, where he can have impact on some of the most pressing issues facing the national and economic security of our nation. Chris, it's great to have you here today. Thanks so much for coming on and helping us launch CyberCast. Thanks for having me. This is going to be great. <laughs> Looking we, forward we to it. We believe so, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, let's start with a topic that you have focused on, election integrity. By all accounts, states are improving what they're doing, and you've identified two states, Pennsylvania and Maryland, that are getting it right. What are they doing, and why is it working? So I've spent a lot of time over the last year or so focused on the election security issue, and and the, you know, kind of the the interesting thing about the way uh, elections are run in the U.S. is that by the Constitution and by law, it falls to the responsibility of the, the state and local governments to administer and execute even national elections, not just local, not the dog catcher, but also president and uh, for congressional seats. So when, when you actually get out there and you think about how broad the challenge is, it's close to 10,000 jurisdictions nationally, election jurisdictions. Big, big, big scope issue. Well, when we get out there and we work with uh, state and locals, and, and I think you guys have seen it too from just a broader IT security perspective, but they're not necessarily resourced day in, day out on an annual basis for equipment refresh, you know, updating licenses for whatever uh, operating system or whatever other platforms they have. Uh, so when we get out there and we provide a number of different services to state and local governments, primarily built around kind of three lines of effort. First is intelligence and information sharing. The second is technical services. And the third is incident response uh, and exercises, incident response planning and exercises. The technical services piece is where we engage uh, and provide uh, risk and vulnerability assessments. Kind of RVA is one of the, the top shelf offerings we provide. It's a two-week assessment. It's, it's one week kind of doing uh, on-site penetration testing, really getting into the guts of the system and figuring out what, uh, what, how it's configured and is it configured properly or updates applied, applied properly. And then we spend about a week of uh, writing a report and working with the, the, uh, the state, state or local government on you know, how to develop a, 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 the appropriate security uh, footing. So what we're finding in those risk and vulnerability assessments is, is frankly, it's the basics. And, and we see this everywhere. We see this in, in private sector, but also uh, state and local government. It, it's the hygiene. It's just the basic. It's patching. It's uh, updating uh, properly. It's uh, appropriate administration of, of accounts, limiting privilege. I mean, you guys have been talking about this for years. You know, limiting access that the average user can get across the system, segmentation of the networks, uh, limiting uh, lateral movement, just basic, basic stuff. So we're, we're 
putting a lot of time and energy right now into educating and providing resources on how to how to you know how to address those problems in the in the right plans. We don't actually do a lot of the the hands-on active patching. You know that's up to the 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 administrator of the system, but helping them understand where they need to put some additional uh, investment. So when you talk about the ten thousand jurisdictions, how <clears throat> easy is it for you? to get to them. The department's been at this for about a year, a little over a year now. So the Obama administration in January of 17 designated uh, election infrastructure as a critical infrastructure subsector, which, you know, for good or bad, uh, wasn't particularly well received initially, um, but we've put a significant amount of time and resource, my own personal, <laughs> frankly, time into making sure that this works. Because it is, you know, as Secretary Nielsen has said, election security is a national security issue. So we're, we're right. fully behind this. Um, we've we've put a lot of effort into developing mechanisms in a in a value proposition so that state and local partners because it is a voluntary engagement and voluntary relationship and for any voluntary partnership to work you got to add something of value you got to bring you know have something to bring them to the table so uh, on the on the lines of uh, information sharing and intelligence we've been issue, we've been working to get security clearances out there. Uh, for the election officials, we've been uh, we've established an, an ISAC, an information sharing and analysis center for state and locals. I think we're pushing about 800, 800 members right now, which is great considering it's been three months. Right. We have all fifty states, all fifty state senior election officials participating in the ISAC. We just got the fiftieth state, I think, last week. So we we've made we've made some progress in the in the last couple months alone. Um, but you know we are focusing at not focusing but we're having the most success right now at the top levels and then it becomes a scale and bandwidth issue as you get down into the more rural counties but we do have great relationship as well with state uh state there you know because you've got secretaries of state or senior election officials in each state then you have the state election directors and then you have the big counties so i i uh couple months ago, back in March, I think, went up to Cook County, Illinois. Noah, Noah Prates up there. Great job. I mean, they are, they've got one of the largest election jurisdictions in the country. Really big problem. Uh, scope scope of the challenge, rather. Um, worked with LA County and Orange County. Um, so it, it is, you know, we're trying to kind of stack things up a bit and figure out how to work our way through the risk picture, get the big ones and then start moving into the, the smaller jurisdictions. But we kind of we have a couple pilots underway right now that we think we'll be able to touch just about every county in the country, not not necessarily in advance of the 18, but but well in advance of the 20. Whenever you go to Cook County, do you have that urge to make a Blues Brothers reference? <laughs> I'm just trying to get up there and get a hot dog, frankly. Yeah, that's even better. So let's talk about info sharing and threat intel for a second, because you said something the other week that I thought was really, was really important. And you said, we have a threat intelligence problem because we obsess about the threat. And we need to get better at assessing cyber risk rather than chasing threats, which was refreshing to hear. Right. Because so for so many years, DHS has been perceived in the private sector as kind of the dude in Times Square with all the watches and the trench coat. What do you want? I got to watch for this. I got to watch here. Right. I got this program. I got that program. And you're trying to change the conversation here a little bit, which I think is great. What is it you're looking to do from the risk management perspective? Because overall, I think where the administration gets some pretty high marks on cyber is changing the perspective that this is a risk management issue first and foremost. Right. And it's not about listing all the programs that you have in place. How do you how do you want to approach that going forward? So when I when I mentioned that, it was kind of funny because I got confirmed on a Tuesday night by the Senate and then just by happenstance happened to have this speech uh, 
uh, the next day at the CyberScoop event, and I I had some talking points. I had a speech, and it was kind of the the general uh, set of talking points. I was like, you know what? I'm confirmed now. Go off script. I can <laughs> toss it, baby. <laughs> yeah, I can get a little bit more uh, provocative here. And, and at the same time, of course, the public affairs team and the legislative affairs team started to get a little nervous. And like, yeah, we want to pull you back Blood a little bit. Draws but, from the but look, my point here is cyber cybersecurity, given the intangible nature of the environment, it's hard to really measure and level what each report from vendor X means or you know what this article out of the intelligence community means. So what we are trying to do, because when you think about risk, when you think about contextualizing risk, intelligence, threat, is one of three components. If you stick to the classic risk equals threat times consequence times vulnerability, I'd add time, you know, uh, likelihood in there. Yeah. But but threat is but a piece. And so if we're chasing every little article or every little threat report that comes out, we're going to be chasing our tails, you know, for the rest of our lives. And what we are trying to do at DHS is really kind of embrace the model or rather the authorities provided to the secretary in the Homeland Security Act of 2003, uh, section 201 says you have the authority to conduct vulnerability assessments and risk assessments across this wide range of critical infrastructure uh, sectors. Working with sector specific agencies, Presidential Policy Directive 21 also kind of characterizes that, but we are embracing this model of we're the lead for national risk management. We don't own it all. I don't have in-depth expertise across the electricity subsector or, frankly, the, the financial services sector. But what we do have is, is expertise and excellence across the general cybersecurity IT space, the information technology space, as well as the operational technology space with ICS. And the thing about those two is that they're blind to the sector where they're ultimately deployed. They are cr- truly cybersecurity is a cross-cutting global challenge. So you've got to have a hub, a center of gravity, so that all the assessment comes into one place for integrated assessment, integrated planning, uh, integrated operational coordination. So that's what we are really trying to move into that space. And that gets us, uh, Roger, the point you made about about how are we contextualizing risk. It's, it's taking the intelligence, trying to figure out what it actually means in the real world in a practical application of it does matter to this company or it doesn't matter to this company. I think where we end up in this space is a probably a, a well not probably, but a a more refined understanding of where risk truly lies. And in part what we're doing in is shifting from a model of from asset, meaning a company, to more of a key service or function that that company delivers. And I think that is gonna help risk managers, whether in the government, whether we're policymakers or uh, operators, as well as an industry to figure out how they spend their last dollar and what they're going to put it against in terms of risk management. So as you think about that integrated space, as I mentioned earlier, um, prior to entering government, you worked for Microsoft and your boss at the time, Peter Lee, served on the Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity. I served as the executive director, as you know, and we worked alongside each other and have some battle scars to show mm-hmm. for it. Um, one of the big issues that the commission examined was how civilian, military, and industry capabilities should align to address cybersecurity. So when you look at this integrated space for risk management and you look at the capabilities across those three entities, we've had a tough time 
figuring out how do you harness the power of each of their capabilities in order to create this integrated space. How do you look at that now in your current role? What's your vision for how to do that in those three areas? So sitting back a little bit and kind of continuing the earlier theme about risk, the shift of risk management, we are, you know, the, those that are familiar with government continuity policy are aware of mission essential functions and national essential functions. Those are the things the government has to do to ensure the government can still operate on behalf of the American people. We are looking at the other side of the coin. What are the things that industry has to provide to ensure that our way of life continues on day to day? Um, and that concept is being kind of uh, maturing into something we're calling the national critical functions. So I talked about the bank earlier. Um, there are parts of a bank that, that from a you know, nationally sustaining, persisting uh, perspective, I don't, I don't necessarily care about um, day in, day out. But there are those that I do. Uh, wholesale payments is a great example. Treasuries and, and pricing uh, stability, another example. You know, those are just things that keep the markets running. ATM spitting out cash every day? Maybe not. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make that definitively, but you know, there are, not all things are alike here. So, so with this concept of national critical functions, we, again, we get to the prioritization uh, elements, but working together on how we protect and defend those functions, what the government can do for industry, that is where we get industry, government, civilian government, and defense together for that integrated holistic deterrence package, if you want to call it a deterrence package. But there are elements of this in deterrence by denial. So it's where DHS and Treasury work with the banks on the basic protection and defense measures, hygiene, uh, building resilience into the system. And then there's the deterrence by cost imposition. And that's where law enforcement takes down the cyber criminal networks that are trying to exploit uh, these systems, SWIFT, for instance. And then there's the defense department package that actually goes out to the threat source and takes it offline, changes the landscape so that they can't engage uh engage in our space. So it's it's an integrated approach, and that's that's the model we're, we're following right now. And I, I talked about, again, national critical functions and DHS leading the critical infrastructure protection coordination efforts here in the U.S. It is DHS alongside sector-specific agencies like Treasury, like Energy, like Health and Human Services, with the FBI, with the Department of Defense, and the intelligence community to have a, a, an approach that starts domestically but reaches globally. And so what I like about that is I think it helps to solve the problem that we saw way back when when the Iranians launched their um, cyber attacks against the financial sector in 2012, right? Mm -hmm. in, my, in my mind, that is the greatest example of how we whiffed as a government. That was a nation-state attack on our nation's critical infrastructure. And I think that served as a bit of a wake-up call that government needs to be more engaged in a way that is different from what we've been talking about for years now. And so creating a risk management construct using those type of elements might put industry in a better place to defend itself first and foremost, but then government finally providing the type of support to that makes a difference. So let me, let me one-up you on that a little bit. So when you think back to the attacks on the financial services uh, sector, that I'd actually love to be operating in that space today because that was a very targeted attack against a single infrastructure set and a limited number of companies. Right. 
the landscape we're in today is where you almost have strategic uh, adversaries in nation states, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, are thinking about things not just in that I want to take that bank offline. It's I want to hold at risk a broader set of infrastructure. So we've got five, six, seven infrastructure sectors or subsectors that are all involved in the same threat actors uh, approach. So that's why, again, going back to this model of integrated civilian defense and private sector uh, working together, it has to be a coordinated, integrated approach because it's not just Treasury. Department of Energy is involved, too, in their stakeholder set. So we've got to have this, this, this model of coordination and integration or we're not going to be successful. So let me follow up with that then on um, what you recently announced regarding the Cybersecurity Summit yep. on July 31st. So as you and I have discussed, the growing interdependencies in the digital economy caused by whatever buzzword, mm-hmm. Internet of Things, just general interdependencies in this digital economy. You just did cyber bingo. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> we did. <laughs> the lines that have uh, previously defined critical infrastructure are being blurred. We've talked about this for a long time. And as you and I have talked about, the the way that we're evolving our sector efforts in cybersecurity have to go beyond just the sector-specific efforts. Right. And it has to look at cross-sector sharing. So this cybersecurity summit that you guys announced um, for July 31st is going to look at that. And you're looking at energy, finance, and telecommunications. What are you hoping to achieve with this effort? And how would you define that effort? And do you see other sectors now being brought into that overall mission and objective of the cross-sector approach? Absolutely. So when when we were in the initial kind of conceptualizing phase of of the summit, w- frankly, and you know this is this is not you know uh, one of the talking points necessarily for the events, but I but I've mentioned it before. One of the things that we were trying to accomplish is is kind of r- instilling a little confidence in the American people, in the U.S. government, in Congress that. Hey, there's a plan. There is a cybersecurity plan in a thought process that is coordinated, that has a leadership approach about it. And it is not, you know, despite uh, movement across uh, government and people coming in and coming out, that it's not dependent upon that. That the department has clear authorities. We work well with the Department of Defense, we work well with our sector specific agency partners. And then we're doing this together. So in part, it was reasserting a leadership role in national cybersecurity. So that's one. Two, um, I'm not one having, A, attended a number of conferences and summits, but also helping put them together. Uh, I'm kind of past these events where everybody gets together and has a dialogue. And I'm using my air quotes right now. Uh, A dialogue or a conversation. No, we need to actually accomplish something. So the idea of the summit is not just get a bunch of people and CEOs around a, you know, in a fireside chat and talk about what our problems are, but it's actually say, we all know what our problems are. What are we going to do about it? An action plan yeah, across sectors. And we will launch at the summit by my last count, at least three, but maybe four um, noteworthy, whether it's a task force or some other kind of organizing mechanism, there will be new ideas and initiatives that will generate in a 90-day period immediately after the summit outcomes. Because if we're not generating outcomes at this, you know, I'm not saying the speed of the internet, but quicker than we're used to, particularly in government, then we're doing it wrong. 
Can you foreshadow what you'd like to see one of those outcomes to be? So generally if, or specifically, if, if it hasn't dawned on the listener to the podcast cast yet, but we are reframing the way we're looking at national risk management. So there'll be uh, some, some focus on uh, and some new thinking released on the way that we, we address national risk management. Um, we're going to be the other thing, the other space where DHS is, is very interested, uh, very engaged and leading a number of efforts is supply chain. So we'll we'll have some announcements around supply chain, and uh, again a a uh, sort of a leadership position, um, and then we'll have uh, a conversation about workforce, and hopefully some new things come out of the summit related to workforce, um, and then industrial control systems. So I want to circle back to a question you asked earlier of finance and uh, telecom and uh, tr- and energy. Uh, we'll also have the IT companies there as well and then a couple others but industrial control systems from a real you know risk perspective the the IT security market is very robust very healthy uh, what you know I, I'm not going to throw out any of these these uh, bogus statistics but you know thousands coming online every month of cybersecurity companies or whatever it is uh, I just said I wouldn't do something then I did it but anyway you get the point but you the, did the right thing we're playing yeah. bingo later so the ICS space the industrial control space the industrial internet space is not as um, is heavily populated and, and it's a different operating environment and uh, but it also probably has the greatest uh, amount of risk in terms of particularly life safety but uh, but also the probably the the well a, a least a less mature approach um, to risk management. So really trying to put some heft behind that, and uh, we'll feature a number of uh, efforts that our ICS cert uh, is uh, is leading in that space. So ITOT, I think that's a big part of this because yep. we are we way heavily over rotate on IT. And if you go out into any of the critical sectors that have OT, operational technology, they will say, we are kind of like the orphan. We need more focus. So government providing that focus actually does a lot of things for them. But as we've talked about, it is it is a space that, from a risk perspective, that needs quite a bit of attention. In fact, a uh, bill passed out of the House, the an industrial control system bill passed out of the House that we, we uh, look forward to engaging the Senate on. It cements, codifies... Uh, DHS's ICS uh, uh, cert space. So, uh, you know, another opportunity, another space where DHS is heavily engaged. So real quick on legislation. Mm-hmm. Right? Your priorities right now, your, what's the Vegas over-under on a, uh, on a new agency with Saiba in its well, name? Well, you know, I, I'm not a betting man uh, anymore. <laughs> we can uh, go to Delaware and do this. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've just lost too many times. Um, so, w- yeah, number one priority for me legislatively is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Act. Passed out of the House back in December, December 4th, I think. Uh, then passed out of the Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee under uh, Chairman Johnson's leadership uh, a couple months ago. Uh, that it's rolled up into the DHS reauthorization uh, package, uh, but we're you know we're, we're not knocking down or moving through challenges, blockers, whatever it is. I uh, hope to get some action this summer. Um, have had a lot of we've gotten a lot of interest lately from uh, from industry on on uh, you know they want this to move. Uh, they want DHS to uh, continue moving forward in the cybersecurity and infrastructure pro- uh, protection security space. So, you know, I'm 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 optimistic. I'm I'm feeling pretty good that this we're going to get something done this Congress. That's the positive attitude we like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Chris, let's talk about Equifax for a moment. 
And the key piece here is not what it, we learned about data breach notification, because as you and I have talked about, that that time has come and gone. But what it raised was the importance of protecting critical information. We've spent a lot of time focused on protecting critical infrastructure, but this incident really highlighted how now in this day and age of data, of interdependencies, that critical information has to be protected and that data is the most important asset a company holds. So what are you doing in this position to look at how government's protecting its data and how are you helping industry protect its data? In the current vision of of the way we're executing the uh, continuous diagnostics and mitigation program, which is the set of and suite of tools that we develop and uh, uh, provide out to the federal civilian agencies as well as state and local agencies, the process, kind of the 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 the, the steps that we're we're going through, it starts with just figure out what's connected to your networks. You know, enumerate the devices. That was the first step. Like. That's stuff that industry has been doing in the air enterprise space for years. Um, we were just we're just kind of getting there over the last couple of years. But ultimately, where we end up through this process of understanding our networks is just just to this uh, discussion of protecting the data. You can't sit at the perimeter at the endpoint. You can't always sit on top of the network and watch the activity. You got to get to ultimately protecting the data. Uh, and so that's the model that that we're working through in CDM, and that's you know as we work with outside organizations as well in, in industry, it's it's that's the desired end state. So build your plan. When you think about the maturity models that were developed for the NIST cybersecurity framework, ultimately that's the two B state that you get to protecting the data. So speaking of framework and IoT and everything else, we're going to end with a little game that we call Cyber Bingo. Mm. So you get to say those words that are used. So I had a friend in college who called them B-plus words, and he majored in English. And every time he used them, he was convinced he'd get a B-plus on a paper. Uh, so what are the words? Did he? And No. <laughs> so this goes to the bingo. There yeah. would be a lesson there. So what are those terms that everybody's using without really knowing what they mean and how critical are they? So the free space in the center of the board is IoT. You can't use that. Okay. I'll start with mine, yeah. which is Bitcoin. So yeah. here, here okay. are the things that people are using without really mm. understanding what they are and how critical are they in this space and how do we need to frame them? Do you want to offer yours, Roger, before Chris gets to offer his? Well, it's related. Blockchain. Yeah. Right? If uh, I had a dollar or a drink, I'd either be under the table so or rich with every reference I, I'm not sure if this is a clarifying point, but maybe <laughs> um, it's not just it, – is it misuse? Can we say misuse? Of yeah, the term? That's fair. So threat yeah. assessment. Threat assessment. Okay. Threat assessment. <laughs> it's it's not the threat. It's we it's have to the understand assessment. the risk. It's a risk assessment. There are a couple other pieces of a risk assessment that we've got to continue to build out because everybody, like I said, everybody's chasing the latest threat report, and we're spending money that we don't need to be spending. Well, and to your point, it, you know, you can everyone can segment what part of that discussion they want, but you've got to look at the true right. assessment of all of those pieces to be effective. Right. See, so this is an incentive for DHS in the future. The more people use risk and risk management in the critical infrastructure space, you guys should give them something like a blockchain <laughs> that they could use with their Red IoT assessment. With their With their crypto? <laughs> yeah. Do you mean crypto cryptocurrency? <laughs> in, yes. Powered yeah. by AI and machine I was learning. Say, right. AI is right up there. Yeah. Chris, we are so grateful for your time. You're a good friend, and it's been great to watch what you're doing at DHS. And, you know, as, as we've talked about, this is arguably 
the most important issue facing the nation today. And DHS and what you guys have done is just really impressive. And it's been great to hear the progress that you've made and what you're looking to do. So thanks very much. We wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Let's take a moment to thank Lookout Mobile Security for supporting Liberty Group Cybercast. Securing mobility is critical for our nation's cybersecurity. According to Lookout Research, phishing is more problematic on the mobile device than on traditional endpoints, and it's successful. The rate at which people are falling for phishing attacks on mobile has increased 85% year over year since 2011. Lookout offers the next level of defense required to give your agency visibility and protect against mobile threats to government data. Learn more about how Lookout Mobile Endpoint Security protects your organization's sensitive data by visiting lookout.com federal. So that was a great conversation with Chris Krebs. Um, I think Absolutely. He offered a lot of thoughtful content, and it's great to see the role that he's taken on and, and what he's doing with that. And I particularly appreciated the emphasis on action that he's talking about. So when he talked about the election integrity piece, I mean, I think he is it's fascinating to look at what he's he's the scope of the problem. He's got 10,000 jurisdictions, and it reminded me a lot of the issue that we have with small and medium-sized businesses today, which is this huge constituency that is so critical to a supply chain. In this case, it's the election supply chain. But how do you reach them all? And these basic challenges that we continue to fight, cyber hygiene, patching, access management, privilege. So it's almost like you wish that there was just this greater education that could get disseminated to those jurisdictions, because I don't know how we've—he's got the 50 states, but I don't know how you get to those jurisdictions and what can be done with it. So what's striking is that the election community, if you will, has been an underserved community because it wasn't a priority until 2016, and now we are doing education, awareness, the hygiene, the base, the blocking and tackling the basics that we've talked about for a couple decades now in the critical infrastructure sectors. Now we're playing catch up in elections at the state and local level. And it just reinforces your point, which is no matter what else you do, if you're not doing the basics, if you're not doing the cyber hygiene, if you're not doing the basic blocking and tackling, you are at a distinct disadvantage and you will suffer a significant event. And the issue that we didn't talk about, but that continues to happen at the state level are the resources and how you right. prioritize what needs to be done. And continuously, cybersecurity is just, it's a difficult prioritized resource when you're dealing with individuals and uh, emergency management and hurricanes and floods. How do you allocate effective resources for this issue that impacts national security, arguably greater than any other issue that the states are facing. So businesses for years have had to finally understand that cybersecurity is a critical component of business operations. Now, from an election security perspective, cyber becomes important from state and local operations. And that evolution of thinking, I think, is important as well. Second thing that I thought Chris talked about, uh, which was significant, was this ongoing emphasis of risk as how to frame cybersecurity, risk management. We started this when we were working on the NIST framework a number of years ago. That started to change the conversation. To see the agencies and DHS continue to focus on that is important. This is a message that we have to beat industry, 
government and citizens over the head with on a constant basis. It's about risk management. How do you manage your risk? And I think the key piece to that is this approach that it's not so much about what you're preventing. You've got to prevent the basics, but it's how you manage the event when it happens. As we've talked about, a breach is not a demonstration of failure if you've done and taken the right steps. And looking at risk management, then that also allows you to feel much more comfortable when the events happen. And you can also pull the lessons from those events into your evolving incident response plans and into the security infrastructure and your security processes that you're developing anyway. And lastly, I thought his uh, conversation about cross-sector in this upcoming summit at the end of July was, was noteworthy. So using the example of the Iranian attacks back in 2012 and his framing it of, hey, that was actually easier. When you think about the threat environment today, the cross-sector targeting by nation states and others. And so this elevation of getting out of these silos of one sector of critical infrastructure, it's more about multiple sectors working together in a way that is different. And it's taking the lessons learned, the best practices, but sharing it in a way that allows cross-sector collaboration. And we've had this conversation with him over time, which I think is really important. ISACs, the Information Sharing and Analysis Centers, the Information Sharing and Analysis Organizations have played a role for sectors to get up to speed. But absolutely in this era of interdependencies where you see, as he talked um, so effectively about the need for sectors to be working together, that the threat assessments, the intel sharing, that has to happen across sectors now. So we've got to grow out of this siloed approach, as you just said, and be looking much more integrated across our sectors and not just as we've defined critical sectors, because I think even that definition is is going to grow. And I'll make a plug for my, my recent commentary, which is that I think social media and looking at technology, that's an evolving sector. Just as we've just identified elections as an infrastructure sector, we're going to start to see infrastructure sectors proliferate in this era. And we've got to be thinking much more about how they all work together than about how they work independently. Well, we appreciate you listening and hope you'll join us next time on CyberCast. Thanks very much. Thank you. 